adoption journey may seem overwhelming at first, but More to Love, an adoption podcast, is here to provide you with resources, experiences, interviews, advice, and tools to help guide you on your path to adoption. Hosted by a board-certified adoption attorney, this podcast shares the raw and real truths, the struggles and the triumphs, and the real-life family experiences that prove there is always more to love. Let's welcome our adoption expert and podcast host, Nicole Moore. Hello and welcome to More to Love. This is our December episode that will cap off 2021. And when thinking about who I wanted to feature on our last episode, um, our holiday episode, I definitely wanted to leave all of our listeners with hope that their dreams of being a parent will come true. There's different mechanisms that can assist them. There are different options for them to explore. Whatever they choose, though, whether it be adoption, whether it be assisted reproduction, whether it be surrogacy, I just want to give hope to all of our listeners that it is possible to become a parent. And it might not be easy, but it'll sure be worth it. Today, I have Mandy joining us. Mandy had her son, William, through surrogacy and is here to share her story of hope as she waited almost six years until her dream of becoming a mother came true. So without further ado, I would now like to welcome Mandy. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us on this holiday episode. We wanted to definitely leave 2021 off on a great, happy story. And yours is one of triumph and overcoming obstacles and really growth and victory. So I think that your story provides hope and I plan to share that with our listeners today. Tell us first, Mandy, when you decided to start exploring your options of having a baby. Walk us through that. Well, I come from a big family, so I always knew that we wanted to have children, but I had a heart transplant when I was eight. So first became the journey of whether or not I could carry a child safely. And that took about a year and a half. We started looking into surrogacy because I could not carry a child safely. And luckily we were able able to find a surrogate and have our dreams come through. That's wonderful. So when the doctors told you it would not be safe for you to carry your own child and you and your husband began exploring other options, did you go directly to surrogacy or did you look into adoption or other options. I mean, we have predominantly featured adoptions on this podcast, and that's why I really wanted to headline your surrogacy journey. But when a person in your shoes is making that decision, I wondered, did you consider adoption or did you go right to surrogacy? So my husband and I did look into adoption and surrogacy, but in my heart, I felt like I wanted to try and exhaust all of my options with surrogacy first before moving on to adoption. So once you determined surrogacy was going to be the way you began building your family, what's the next step? The next step is finding a surrogate. And that's not the easiest part of one, two, three, is it? No, no. Finding your match is, is probably the hardest part. 
So, you know, obviously in adoption, we maintain wait lists, waiting families that are looking to be matched with birth mothers. And every day in adoption agencies, birth mothers get multiple profiles of adoptive families that they can choose from. The understanding that I have is that these surrogacy profiles of potential surrogates are not as abundant at all. Can you tell us about that? Uh, they are not as abundant. A lot of people that want to be surrogates, they don't qualify or they don't necessarily match with you. We actually were fortunate to have a surrogate starting out that we had found on our own and we were ready to proceed and get everything started. And then COVID hit and she was no longer available to us because she was concerned about COVID and her family and going to doctor's appointments. So we understood we were heartbroken. And it was a blessing that we found a second surrogate relatively quickly. And I feel that it was meant to be because she was our perfect match. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that because I'm sure that our listeners have heard adopted families say, you know, we had a disruption with our first birth mother and we were devastated. But when we got rematched and met their next birth mother, that that was that was meant to be. So interesting to see the parallels between surrogacy and, and adoption. So you mentioned finding finding your surrogate on your own. And I imagine that is much like uh, adoptive parents that aim to find a birth parent on their own. If you don't find a surrogate on your own, are there places that maintain available surrogates? How would a listener that, that just doesn't even know how to begin finding a surrogate on their own, how could they find one? Well, I would start by learning as much as you can about surrogacy and what it entails. There are groups and organizations that have surrogates ready and waiting and ready to help you throughout the whole process. And if you were looking to find one on your own, I would say start with your friends, family, and extended family just to see. Because if you want a biological child, that's often the least expensive Certainly. And we see that the same in, in adoption. You know, um, adoption through a wait list is much more costly than adoption that comes in already matched and identified. So another parallel that we note with surrogacy. You had mentioned that you had found your first surrogate. Was the second surrogate that you found, was that someone that you were able to find on your own? Yes. My mother actually reached out to all of her extensive network and was just looking for a, a possible needle in a haystack. And it's amazing to us because our surrogate Autumn wasn't even looking to be a surrogate on her own. She just wanted to help another family. And when she read our story, she was moved by it and decided that she wanted to help. Wow. Okay. So she wasn't even on a surrogacy profile list, so to speak. No, she was not. What do you think it was about your story that touched her and said, Pick me. I'm willing to do that. Count me in. Oh, well, Autumn, it's a big heart. And my story is a unique one. And we have been trying for four and a half years prior to that. So I uh, I think that she met us for the first time when we met her. Everyone was a little nervous, but we pretty much clicked. And we haven't looked back since. Wow. So what questions do you ask you and your husband? I mean, you come to this this meeting, I imagine there's some food involved and some high emotions. And do you have a list of questions that you are, are prepared to ask the surrogate? Yes, we wanted to know what she did and what her background was. One of the qualifications to be a surrogate is they have half children. So we wanted to know about her. We asked about her children and 
we just we have to get make sure our thoughts were aligned as far as how many embryos are going to transfer. Had she ever been a surrogate before? No, she had not ever been a surrogate. And did she have any connection with surrogacy or know anyone that had done that before? She did not, but she works in a law firm that handles, it's sort of in the same field, which is how we were able to reach out to her in the first place. So she was aware of it and she knew about it, but she wasn't actively looking for a family help, but we just kind of fell into her lap. <laughs> I think it is such an important aspect to highlight for our listeners, because literally this woman, this angel was going about her life, working, raising her two children. And but for your, was it a letter? What was it that she read about you? Was it? It was just an email outlining our story, how we were just looking for someone. She decided I will do this for you. I will turn your dreams of being a parent into a reality. I just, I think that it's so overwhelming to prospective adoptive parents. And I certainly know that you could speak to that about facing and accepting the fact that you can't carry your own child. And what am I going to do? And there's so many options. But what I really, really want to drive home today to the listeners is is hope. And Mandy and her husband decided to reach out to nearly everybody that they know through their family. And and you just have to consider the waves of communication. If everyone in your family sends an email and then asks those people to send an email out to their contacts and ask those people, you never know, you know, who it's going to reach. Now, was she, was your surrogate located in the same state as you? I imagine that might be important for doctor's appointments. It is. It is important for doctor's appointments and we got lucky we did get a surrogate that was close she's about 25 minutes away from us so there was another small blessing there because you do read about surrogates that are far i think this is huge i just i am stunned that this just all came to fruition in the way that it did after everything that you have been through mandy medically and with the first surrogate and and having to hear that it it wouldn't be safe for you to do this when you come from a huge family and you love children and that by the power of social media and reaching out not knowing hey if it's going to stick or not but it's certainly not going to hurt if everybody tries a woman just arrives 25 minutes away from you and decides to do this for you. I just, that is, it's, it's astonishing and and it's amazing. And clearly the universe had decided that you needed to be a parent, right? I hope so. I'm glad they agreed. I think so. We We have a beautiful baby boy. Well, let's continue on the journey of how we got to this beautiful baby boy. So talk a little bit about, you know, one of the, the benefits of adoption is that, and often, you know, we have clients that come that have done the assisted reproduction. And I have heard how the medicine and the shots and the transfers and the the procedures take such a medical, financial, and emotional toll that sometimes when clients come to me ready to adopt, they have exhausted their savings. They're medically very fragile and they're emotionally spent by the process. So can you speak a little bit about those kind of three topics, you know, the the medical process, the financial and the emotional, maybe let's with the medical, how invasive is it? You know, the medical aspect is of course one of is the most important. And for 
the, the mother, it was a lot of shots and a lot of, a lot of timed shots that needed to be given at this specific time every day. You have to either have someone give them to you or learn to give them to yourself. And they're not all easy because you're usually giving yourself a shot right in the stomach or the top of, you know, the butt area. And the last shot, which is like the activation shot, is a much larger needle and you have to give it in a muscle. And they say they recommend, at least for my clinic, they recommended in the stomach. So giving myself those was a lot, but there was, I wanted the best possible outcome. So that's why I chose to do the, the shots. There are, there was a way to do it with a suppository type method, but they told me that there was a slighter increase if I did the shots of it turning out to be a child. So I said, let's do shots. And then and was this your first time doing it? In other words, did you start this procedure with the original surrogate or did she back out before the medical piece started? So we had started the medical procedure at the same time. Well, probably a little bit before the first surrogate. And something that we learned along the way was is we don't necessarily have to line up our cycle with the surrogate. Sir can't, but we did the medical, we did our medical portion and then she backed out. But because we had completed our medical portion and had our embryo, we were ready for the next surrogate with an embryo. And I didn't need to repeat the shots and the medical appointments and the heart wow, another 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 silver lining for you what did you do to deserve all this wow <laughs> i don't know because you know we started our journey so long ago that and with the first surrogate that we actually pre-covid the clinic that we originally used and with the doctor they closed right when so we had to transfer all of our genetic materials and our paperwork and we had to get a new doctor midstream as well so there's a lot of bumps in the road, and I don't think that it's easy for anyone. I don't think that this journey, you get on it and say it's going to go great, because I think there's always, always going to be something that pops up. Someone listening has a wonderful surrogacy experience and journey, then I, I'm happy for you, because the people that I've spoken to since becoming part of the surrogacy world have not had that same experience. Well, I think a part of this podcast and the reason that I did this has highlighted that things don't often work as we plan. And it's often painful, but there are so many stories that I have been able to be a part of where broken plans and things not going how we wanted to actually ended up in a happy ending. And again, that's really the belief behind this podcast is to exemplify the love of people like Autumn, your surrogate who really just changed the course of her life to give your son life. And it just stories like yours, there none of them are without heartache and none of them are without loss and none of them are without bumps in the road. But there are so many silver linings and there are so many ways that the universe does come together for couples like you and your husband in autumn to, to bring children into the world. And we're just so grateful for, for people like her. So in just speaking of that kind of aspect, it's the emotional piece of what we're talking about. And I know that the big emotions highlighted in adoptions are, will the birth mother change her mind? You know, certainly you can be on board for the entire pregnancy. And I know that my clients, they don't really breathe and, until the consents are signed because a, a birth mother can change her mind. What is the biggest fear in the surrogacy journey? Well, the biggest 
biggest fear, it honestly depends on which stage you're in, because it seems like there's always something to be worried about. <laughs> or maybe that was just Take me. us through but, those stages, Mandy. Take yeah, us through those. The first one, you know, your emotional is, is finding the right surrogate for you. Once you do that and you create your embryo, let's say, for example, you create four embryo. And only two of them are what a clinic would consider viable. So then you have two embryo, unless you do the whole shots and process over again. So let's go back to your two embryos. So you have two embryo and you have a surrogate. And your next big hurdle is, is when you put the embryo in the surrogate, will the embryo take? And our first embryo did not take. So we were fortunate that the second one did. How long is that process? I mean, I imagine if the first one doesn't take, you don't come back the next day. So no, no, you usually so there's two ways you can do it. You can do it relatively soon, or you can wait a month and do it with the next cycle. So we waited, and we did it with the next cycle. So you're really on on edge until you get that confirmation of pregnancy. And then again, eight weeks in when you get the confirmation of heartbeat. And that's when you really start to the oh my gosh, this is real. So unlike and I'm trying to draw, you know, my comparisons and differences between this and adoption, because I know that a lot of our listeners really explore both of these options. So unlike adoption where the entire pregnancy the adoptive parents know that a birth mother can change her mind and parent. Is it correct to say that you don't have that fear in surrogacy because the proper legal documentation has been signed before the pregnancy and confirmation and there isn't an opportunity for the surrogate to change her mind in that respect? So each state has different rules on surrogacy. We live in Florida, so we were very lucky that there are pretty set standard guidelines for Florida and surrogacy, and you outline every single question, concern in a contract that you both sign prior to the embryo. And then that kind of takes me to the, to the financial. So in terms of who you have to hire to make what you did possible. I mean, you definitely are paying the clinic, right? And it sounds like you definitely have to pay an attorney, a law firm like ours that handles surrogacy. What other expenses are involved? So you have to pay medical. So you have to pay for everything that the gestational carrier, or in this case, Autumn, needs that is medically related to the journey. So for example, in the contract, there's sometimes there's a stipulation for clothing because she's going to be pregnant and she's going to be, she's going to need to size up a couple when she's pregnant. And as months grow, you need to set up an escrow account and keep it funded so that each week the surrogate can be paid on time. And in all of her medical bills go through the escrow company. And I kind of really liked it that way because we weren't dealing directly with money during our journey. And if, if something wasn't paid, I would just say, oh my gosh, set it to the escrow. And the escrow company we had was wonderful. And they would reimburse her within 12 to 24 hours. In adoption, we can assist the birth mother through the legal categories that are laid out in the law for living expenses, things like rent, transportation, medical, utilities, phone, toiletries, food. So I suppose that there's similarities that transfer into that surrogacy world of paying 
for the same things. Now, in adoption, you cannot pay the birth mother to place her baby. So you can't exchange a fee for her to place the baby. You surrogates, is it allowable to pay a surrogate a fee to carry your baby? Yes. So there are different rules, I guess, then between the adoption world and the surrogate space because the surrogate can ask for very little compensation all the way up until thirty to $100,000 just to have the baby. Typically, we learned you pay them. Typically, surrogates, they ask for $32,000 as their base fee or compensation for having more child. Some surrogates ask for more. If you're having twins, the number can, can increase by $20,000, $10,000, whatever the surrogate feels is appropriate. And there are additional compensation levels if she were to have a problem with she needed her uterus taken out, if she lost one of her fallopian tubes, if Sure. Um, sure. If you had a miscarriage, then, you know, these are all things that are additional that you just, you outline every detail in the contract. But as far as the base compensation that they would get, usually you look at that. And then on top of that, they get their insurance paid for. They get a lot of other things. So that is a, a little bit different than adoption in that they can get some of their living expenses paid for in addition to the fee of carrying someone else's child that's not genetically related to them. I know that finances are a big part when when folks are looking at their options and deciding what is available to them. And I think that the importance of any route that you go, obviously, is making sure that you have a great legal team to advise you of the laws as they do vary from state to state, as Mandy said, and, and to advise you as, as to what is legal. And really, um, go through every if and what if or but in these contracts to make them as ironclad as possible so that any potential situation that occurs during the pregnancy is addressed in the contract. And I'm sure that you felt comfortable with the one that was drafted in your case. So my next question is, were you able to go to all of the medical prenatal care appointments just as though you were the one that was pregnant? We were in the middle of COVID, so the answer is no. Okay. COVID they would not let anyone, they would not let any unnecessary personnel in for any procedure. We were not allowed in the, the clinic for when they did the transfer. And that really bothered me because I'd gone through this journey and I was, I was there, but I wasn't allowed to be in, the, you know, I could sit outside and that's about it. But. Our surrogate Autumn was wonderful and she took pictures and she let us know everything the doctor said. And luckily within a few weeks before, during our first actual ultrasound, we were allowed to, to hear the heartbeat for the first time. Not on a cell phone, but like actually be there. And that was really special. I hope that people going through this journey don't get to miss out on things like that. But after that, we were able to go to all of her other appointments. Because we were so close, we would either go to a clinic right by her, we'd either drive out to her, or since we were delivering at a hospital close to us, a couple appointments over by the hospital. And so I get a lot of questions from prospective parents that say, they understand certainly in an adoption, you know, some birth mothers choose 
not to get prenatal care. Certainly when they begin working, you know, with an agency or an adoption entity, we encourage the prenatal and the medical care and provide the transportation and everything to make it very easy. But often birth mothers might call us from the hospital after they delivered and report that they haven't had any prenatal care. This is one huge difference because they might not have any medical information other than when the baby is born. Whereas in surrogacy, I know that you're getting the medical information, whether you're there in person or not, in real time. So how important was that to you and your husband in terms of knowing the medical information, knowing the surrogate was smoking or not smoking or drinking a glass of wine or not drinking or, you know, eating healthy or not? I mean, how important was that to you? Well, that was very important to us. But in order to be a surrogate, there are certain rules and requirements. For example, if Autumn was a smoker, she would not have passed pre-qualifications to become a surrogate. Or if she had a criminal, a significant criminal history, she would not have passed the qualifications to be a surrogate. So as her being, as finding her and then having her go through the first steps of the surrogacy journey, we knew the answers to those questions already. So we weren't concerned about her being a smoker. As far as her dietary requirements, we did talk a little bit about some of the things that we would want from her, but she was already a healthy woman. So take us to the birth and delivery of your son. At this point, I'm sure you've had quite a bit of time to build a beautiful bond with your surrogate. What were your emotions heading into delivery? We had a birthday theme going on with little William here, as in we found out that we took the first pregnancy test, even though you're not supposed to, on one of my best friend's birthdays. We heard the confirmation of heartbeat was on my birthday. We had the 20-week ultrasound around my husband's birthday, and our son was born on our surrogate's birthday. Oh my so, so what did we do? We, I think from the beginning, because of the birthdays, I said he was coming on her birthday. So we got a call at 2 a.m. that her water broke and to get to the hospital. So we did. And we beat her there by moments, um, even though she's 20 minutes away. We were right down the street, but we were just so excited. And within an hour of being in the hospital, she had delivered. So somebody was looking out for us that day because I don't know how I would have done waiting. We were prepared to wait and labor. We had all the games and blankets and fuzzy socks and everything that you would need to entertain yourself during labor. But luckily, luckily we just went in, felt like it was so fast. And then we actually had a midwife deliver our son because the doctor couldn't get to the room fast enough. Oh my goodness. And when William was here and you first got to hold him, can you, in your own words, just kind of tell our listeners what that experience was like for you? Well, it was magical. It was like five or six years we've been waiting for this moment and it's finally here. The midwife in the room was amazing. She let me sit right front and center. So as soon as William came out, he was placed in my arms and Patrick was able to cut the umbilical cord. And I just, I couldn't stop smiling and staring at him. And you know how they're supposed to take him to weigh him and all that stuff. Right. Like I wasn't, I wasn't letting him go just yet. So I was like, you have, they didn't even try. I was like, you know, it's, it's not time yet. I just had to hold him and look at him, smile. And that was that. Eventually I did let them weigh him. He weighed 8.3 pounds. <laughs> what has this experience taught you about life? I mean, at a very young age, you shared that you had to get a heart transplant. 
And as a young mother looking to have children, you are not able to carry children. What has this journey taught you? What's changed you? I don't know. I always, I always knew that we would have a child and that the, the ends would justify the means, but going through the, the ins and outs of this for COVID, switching, switching doctors, and it's definitely an emotional toll. And you learn a lot about yourself, what you can handle and what you can't handle. And, you know, we did apply for grants. There are grants out there available for surrogacy specific because so the times have not caught up with the technology. And I really hope that that's something that can be addressed and looked at at a more grand scale because it's not fair that people who can't have children naturally and want to have children don't get the opportunity because they can't afford it. It's not by any means cheap or yeah. easy. And financially, you do take a little toll, but, you know, the end result, if you're lucky enough, is is a baby. And I, it's just emotional to think about. It is emotional. And, you know, I definitely, I hear you and, and we've done, you know, an episode on, on finances and grants and, and how costly building your family can be. I know that surrogacy is historically more expensive than adoption, but I hear you in terms of there being a lot of adoption assistance and adoption grants. Surrogacy has not become as well-known and studied and accepted, perhaps, as adoption. And so they have a lot of catching up to do in that surrogacy world regarding financial assistance and grants, because the end result is a woman that is carrying a child that she will not parent, whether it's through surrogacy or through adoption. So Mandy, what would your advice be to our listeners today that are exploring surrogacy. And when you think back to the time that you decided we're going to give this a shot, all the, the worries and questions and concerns that you had, what, what would your advice to the listeners be today? Start saving. And I would reach out to a IVF specialist to see what was needed for your journey, because there is testing that you can do prior to surrogacy to see if you can even make the embryos. And I would just say, educate yourself to the best of your knowledge and talk to the medical professionals about what surrogacy entails and how and what the best way to go about it for your family is. And if you do know that surrogacy is the right path for you and you are ready to go, then I would first start asking friends and family who they would know of anybody that could be a surrogate for you to help cut down the cost. And if there isn't anyone that you know, then reach out to an agency and help let them help you find your perfect match. And you did mention that you work with Heart of Surrogacy. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about that organization and how that could be a tool for them? So I started working at Heart of Surrogacy because of my individual journey and what I learned and the hardships that I went through. And if I could make the journey better for someone else, even by a little bit, then that's what I want to do. And I want to teach and I want to learn more and I want to be able to help people get their baby. <laughs> well, I love that you took your experience and then changed it into your your purpose and your goal and your why. I know that you're dedicated and on a new journey, not only to being 
a new mother to your precious baby, William, but to helping other parents that are in this journey. So I do hope that listeners contact you through Heart of Surrogacy since you would be such a good advocate and, and role model for them. Well, like I said, Mandy, I love your story of I am of not accepting the fact that you cannot have a child due to your heart transplant, but instead to growing your family through other alternative methods that the universe laid out for you. And none of it would be possible without Autumn. And I dedicate this episode and all of the episodes really that we've done this year on the podcast to people like Autumn and to our birth mothers that so selflessly do what they do so people like you can raise beautiful children like William. So I know Autumn's not here today, but is there anything that you would like to say to her? There's always, always emotions when I talk about Autumn because we are just so grateful for the human being she is. She is a positive, lovely woman who I can never express enough gratitude for. And I know that she will be a part of William's life for as long as she would like to be, which it sounds like the feeling's mutual, but we are always going to be here for her. And she's coming to all his birthday parties. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mandy. Thank you so Thank much you for so sharing much. You, your story. And I hope that our listeners will join us in 2022, where we will continue to hear stories and share stories of triumph and magic and resiliency. And I just want to thank all of our listeners that have followed us, all of our guests, and happy holidays to everyone. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of More to Love, an adoption podcast. And speaking of love, there is always more to go around. So if you or someone you know is going through the adoption journey, please, please, please share our podcast Help us spread the word by liking us on Facebook at Jeannie Tate PA, connecting with us on LinkedIn, or following us on Twitter. As a reminder, this podcast is not intended to, nor does it, create the attorney-client privilege between myself, guests, contributors, and or any listener for any reason. Content from the podcast is not to be interpreted as legal advice. So thanks again for joining us. We cannot wait for you to join us next time on More to Love.